You're listening to the Granola and Gasoline Maridol Podcast, providing a healthy dose of adventure therapy for marital irritation. Your hosts are Brian and Mandy Fable, creators of Granola and Gasoline. Yeah. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to Granola and Gasoline Podcast. Today it is snowing outside, so in honor of the snow gods, we are talking about winter camping. That's right. And not necessarily winter camping, like if you get stranded on snowmobiles, which we sometimes hear about, but intentional winter camping. Intentional. That means on purpose. Not accidental winter camping. Yeah. Not to be And people do this. Have you done this? I have done it. I've done it many a time. How many? Yeah. I think I've done 130 nights of it. I bet I've done 115. I've definitely done a lot more than you. (laughs) Yeah, you have. (laughs) By about 15. What even is winter camping? What is it? What is it? Is it just going out in the snow? It is camping overnight in the snow. And the context in which we did it was mostly when we were working as wilderness guides for Knowles, a backcountry school. So you were getting paid to do it? We were getting paid a very small amount of money to go winter camping. Was it worth it? Some days, yes. Okay. But other days? No. Why not? Because it is so much work. You are traveling on skis, you're hauling all the food and supplies in a sled behind you, and you're building snow shelters, cooking food, melting water to make snow for novice campers. That's Hmm. a lot of work. And when you say novice, you mean like they're just not very good at camping or? Some of them have never been camping before. So basically they come in at zero. Zero. Not all of them, but some of them. They leave at what number? Hopefully like 10 out of 10. So they go from zero to 10. Hopefully. You learn to camp really well in the winter because if you make mistakes, it'll kill you. Wait, like (laughs) kill dead or kill cold? You might get frozen. And if you get frozen, then you're an ice cube. Yeah, and you might get your fingers or your toes frozen, or you might get your whole brain frozen. And if that happens, then you turn into a popsicle. That's right. And then you get put in the stand. Yeah. Then you get put in the refrigerator. Then you get put in the freezer. Then you get put... Generally, it's kind of frowned upon to bring students back who had frostbite or had reached hypothermic states. Did that happen ever? (laughs) Actually, it never happened to me. Did that ever happen to you? Never happened to me. We had other very bad things that we'll talk about later in the show. Diarrhea alert. (laughs) Oh my gosh, let's not make that a theme of this podcast. (laughs) Oh, just another diarrhea alert. How long are the courses? So they're typically between 12 days and the longest one I think I worked was 18 days, which... 18 days of living in the winter is a long time. And is like one day of winter camping equated to one day of summer camping? Is there like a currency no. exchange? Is it like going to Cuba with the embargo? It is kind of like going to Cuba with the embargo. It's like dog years. Seven days of summer camping is the equivalent of one day of winter camping. Does that mean that your facial hair grows faster? Would no, you say? it means that your your fatigue grows much faster and your body odor also grows much faster. Right. Fatigue, flatulence, and body odor. <laughs> I didn't what, say flatulence. How do you know if you're not smelling so great in a winter environment? Well, you don't really notice because you're outside and it's cold and you have all these clothes on, but it's just when you come back, you've been like sweating, freezing, sweating, freezing, sweating, freezing. Like how do you actually do it? Yeah. So you get dropped out on a bus on the side of the road in the middle of winter And you put on telemark skis. Towards the end, Knowles actually got touring skis, which was much better for students. I'm going to cut you off right there because I think there's something interesting. You said you get dropped off in a bus in the middle of winter. Yeah. Is that like parachuting out of an airplane to a third world country? Feels like it. Many of these students are coming from places where they don't have a lot of snow. And you're just standing on, if it's January, you might be standing on 
you know, eight, 10 feet of snow underneath you. Right. And for our listeners in Canada, how many meters is that? <laughs> a lot. A lot of meters. Yeah. Centimeters. Yeah. All right. So what happens next? So you put your skis on, you put a backpack on that's probably like 20 pounds or so, and then you strap on this like... Strap on? <laughs> not a strap on, a like corset waist belt around oh, your corset. rib cage. Like that, a brassiere. Like a brassiere corset that is attached to a sled that you tow behind you because you have so much gear and food that you just couldn't carry it all in a backpack. Do you wear stockings? You wear socks, yeah. Long johns. And long johns and hat and all the normal winter clothing things. And a corset and a... So you're hauling the sled behind you, and many of these kids don't actually know how to ski. Hmm. So not you go down the first hill, and not only do they not know how to stop, but there's this like 20-pound sled pushing them down the hill with these metal rods. Really a disaster. And when that wipeout happens, I mean, it's like a slingshot, right? Yeah, there's like arms and legs and poles and sled, and it's, it's a disaster. Because the sled actually overtakes you. The sled, yeah, it can go in front of you. <laughs> it's it'll come to the side and it'll knock you over, and it has. Yeah, it takes a time. bit to kind of control it, and you kind of. This is a funny parallel, but you kind of have to like learn to side hill with it, like like you do with a sled. Like you have to turn your hip so that the upslope side of the sled digs in, so you don't just tumble down the hill. Yeah, I've never ridden Clydesdale horses, but I imagine it's a lot like that. <laughs> I don't think it's anything like that. Hmm. There's definitely not Budweiser, that's for sure. <laughs> so what happens next? So now you're living in the winter. So you have to, the first night, usually you set up just a tent shelter and you dig down into the snow to try to find protection from the wind and we a little bit of warmth. With your bare hands? No, with shovels. Okay. Yeah. You do a lot of shoveling on a winter course. A lot. Like... 10 minutes a day? Like 10 hours a day, I would say. Whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so the first night you're just sleeping in tents, and then, because camping is intense. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners out there that want to take a moment, press pause, and rewind about 30 seconds, or if I keep talking a minute, and listen to that joke again, I'd encourage you to it's do so. It's a pretty so. good joke. It's better when you write it, though. Yeah. Shoot. But then you have to build a kitchen because you have to melt all you have to melt snow for all of your water and you have to cook food for enough calories to live in the winter. And so you, you build countertops out of snow. Why would anyone do this? Yeah, great question. Uh, in many cases, it, for Knowles, it was part of a larger experience that they were doing like a semester or the, some sort of expedition training. But for the average person, I think it's it's really pristine. It's really beautiful. It takes you to places you wouldn't otherwise go if you didn't have this objective of like winter camping. Like North Dakota. <laughs> Maybe. You could you could do winter camping in North Dakota. I know we have a lot of listeners from North Dakota, so nothing against Technically, you guys. we don't have any listeners anywhere right now. <laughs> what would you say are the top five mistakes that people make while winter camping that result in catastrophic mm. consequences? Well, let's share this, but I would say top one is taking your gloves off. Not bring enough fuel to melt snow for mm, water. I did that once. Yeah, shout out to Matt Hartman. Well, it turns out that when we were grabbing our fuel, I was supposed to grab more fuel than I did, and I didn't take the fuel, which resulted in not enough fuel. Yeah. What's another example? Well, a lot of times it's hard to eat enough because you're working so hard that you're burning like ten to 20,000 calories a day because the food is frozen. You're living in a freezer. You're, yeah, you're living in a freezer, which is nice on the one hand because you can bring things like bacon. What about croissant? 
You don't usually have croissant. Can you bring wieners? <laughs> <laughs> you can bring wieners, yeah. Can you bring Hot Pocket? Yeah, the thing is funny that when you go camp like shopping before a winter course because you want to buy some extra treats, you basically just buy all the worst foods for you. So it sounds like you're eating all the time. You're trying to eat as much as you can, and you still usually can't eat enough and stay hydrated enough. Sometimes you have to wake up in the middle of the night and eat a Snickers bar just to warm up. So you're eating all the time. You must be gaining weight, like, nonstop. Not for me. I would lose weight on courses, which I didn't really have that much weight to lose. But your body is working so hard to maintain. And then you're building these shelters, and that's a lot of work. Can you think back? Did I lose weight? Yeah, I think you did lose weight. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, maybe you're you right. could. Maybe you should go on another winter course. I could use a diet right about now. <laughs> it's really good for your core. Yeah. Your core gets super strong from all the shoveling. Remember, I would come back and be an animal at climbing. Yeah, I'd lost finger strength, but, but you'd I'd have core strength. Core strength. Yeah. Let's talk about the shoveling and how you build the shelters. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the winter courses: is sleeping in a shelter purely constructed of snow. So let's describe the steps. Which person do you want to be? I will be the person that does none of the work and gets all the benefit. Oh. Is that a person? Yeah, that's called a lazy student. Mm. (laughs) Did you ever have those? Yeah, I did. What was some characteristics of a lazy student? They would shovel like one scoop of snow for every 10 that you shoveled. Do you think that I was a lazy student? Wait, you're telling me that I didn't do enough shoveling. I mean, we only ever worked one winter course together. So. But you don't think I did enough shoveling? I think you generally did. Okay, so here, but I let's... I could have done more. Yeah, maybe uh, more. Like how many more shovels? Like six or seven more. Wow. So, hmm. let's talk, so you mound up a whole bunch of snow, like eight, ten feet of snow piled and, up. And that process takes like a good two hours Probably. per group if yeah. you have a bunch of people with and you. And you're building a shelter for like four people or so. And you got to imagine, if you're doing this when there's four feet of snow, you're just digging all around you and piling the snow in the center. Mm-hmm. But if there's not enough snow, then you're actually going further away from the center. And you might be hauling f- it back. You might be filling up little toboggan sleds. With all the snow to make the pile, that is is demoralizing. It really is. It takes a long time. So it's called mounding. You build this big mound of snow, and then you let it set. It's called mounding because you make a mound. Almond joys have nuts. Almond joys have nuts. Mounds don't. don't. You mound all the snow, and then you put one person at the top of the pile of snow, and they're called the mole, and they have a shovel. A lot of times in CIA operations, there's also a mole. That's somebody that'll go deep into enemy territory, insert themselves, and then extract out. Basically what this group, this person does in the shelter. So they start digging down, and they're trying to make as little of hole on the top of the mound as possible. So think about a little mouse that is chewing through a block of cheese. Straight down. Trying to to the center. Yeah, just straight down. eating away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love cheese. Creepy mouse noises. <laughs> and then another person is that what you want the front of the shelter to be like where the door What's should that be. Called? Uh the digger. Digger. Yeah, they're the digger. Shout out to our friend Digger. Oh, digger. Hey, digger. So the digger is digging straight into the mound and the mole is digging straight down. And eventually they'll meet up. Okay, and do the mole and the digger, do they know each other before? Yeah, because they're going to sleep in the same shelter. Oh, right, so cool. they should at least awesome. know who they are. Yeah. 
Marriage uh, not required, but names are good. Yeah, if you're going to be sleeping around in snow shelters. Good to know the names. Sponsored by Marital. Moles dig down, Digger digs in, and then you're creating this big blast-out zone because all the snow that's in the mound has to come out of it so you can oh, sleep in it. Blast-out zone? You're using yeah. explosives? No, but just like generally moving snow away from the entrance. Okay, so just an area. Cleared area. You're going to evacuate all the snow. Yeah. Right. Kind of like a snowmobile track evacuates snow, so does the digger. Yeah, and usually have a couple people clearing that area. So then once they meet, then your goal is just to shape the inside of it to make room for where everyone's going to sleep and even stand up. These shelters are huge. Like how big are we talking? We're talking like, I don't know, what do you think? 15 feet across 15, each way. 15 by? Diameter of 15 right. feet. A 15 radius? Yeah, radius. R15. R15. R15 times. And then a height of like 5 feet usually. Times Because I could usually stand up in them. 5H, Okay. Great, I'll do some quick math. That's yeah. a lot of square feet, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. at home, and a lot of square meters. If you live in Canada. So then you dig the, you build a platform that is above the door that you're pushing all the snow out of. And this is important for warmth. Warmth, warmth, warmth. If that platform is below, then the warmth is just going to travel out. This actually creates like a little, a little heat, vacuum. A it's like block. a mud room for your snow shelter. Yeah. Bernoulli's principle or something. Who's Bernoulli? I think that's the equation of how to calculate volume. Oh. But it has nothing to do with this. Oh. So let's move on. Okay. <laughs> so you got, so your sleeping platform that you're going to put four or five people on is above the entrance to the door. So you kind of have to like crawl in and scamper up onto the platform. And then yeah. that's where you sleep. And you're using carpet. You're using like a wood uh, flooring. What are you no, using? No, it's not really finished like that. So you just use your sleeping pad. Oh, so it's just on the Sometimes snow. Sometimes too. You sleep on the snow. Basically. You wow. can put a tarp or like a little cloth down to try to prevent the Isn't seepage. That cold sleeping on the snow? Surprisingly, it's not because you have this insulation from your sleeping pad. Hmm. Hmm. And then, so you're not done with the shelter yet because you still have to cap it. Because remember how the mole came down the top? That mole always does come straight down the top. Giddy up. Yeah, so now you have to build, you have to take things that are kind of like igloo blocks and put them over that hole in case it starts snowing so it doesn't snow on you. Why don't we just build the whole thing out of blocks? Well, it'll just take forever. But you just told me you have to mount for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, but if you're going to build a whole igloo and a quarry that's like strong enough blocks to do it, it's going to be like days. What about thermal mass and the R-value insulative properties of the blocks versus the mounded snow? Heck if I know. I think that's a pretty big factor. Yeah? Yeah. What do you think about it? Well, I know a lot about it. I studied it for quite a while. And what'd you learn? Mounds have nuts. (laughs) Mounds are warm. No, almond joys have nuts. (laughs) Mounds are warmer than Than igloos. Than igloos. Yeah. I can see that because it's more, it's more consolidated and thick and you don't have like gaps and holes and stuff. So what's a way that you can increase the ambiance inside Ooh, of candles. Ooh, yeah. candles. Yeah, candles so are pretty cool. For romance? Not really because usually you're camping with stinky people that you're not dating. So are you saying there's not a lot of romance in There winter? should not be any romance in a winter <laughs> course. Uh, winter camping is a place where you go to 
end a relationship, not form one. Well, but our friends Kristen and Ben got engaged on a winter course. Oh, snap, they did. Shout out it to It was Christian right ben. after Ben hit his head, so it's hard to know if he was thinking straight. But he was concussed. They got married anyway. They're still married. So yeah. shout out to all our happy couples listening to this show. That's we right. hope you guys stay happy and in love. And married. And a couple. Yeah. So then the last step is you have to build a kitchen right outside the door of your shelter that you can use so that the person who's cooking and making water can just do it right outside your shelter door. What's it, like three-foot panel door? <laughs> There's no panel door. <laughs> it's just an opening. But then you mm. build countertops for cooking. And these countertops are made of granite? No, they're made of snow. Oh. You just pack it down. Again. Yeah, right. everything's made of snow. It's like you're an architect and you're just it's true. creating your own universe. It is kind of fun. You can get creative. I've built a slide into the kitchen. I've built an archway. One time I built a dragon. Huh, dragon. Yeah. Hmm. And then you take turns cooking. And the awesomest part is if you're not cooking, you're just lying in the snow shelter, like resting. And the person cooking is just tossing in hot drinks for you, like warm hot chocolate or coffee or tea. And you're a lot just, of times you're in you're using the Nalgene. They're yeah. putting the hot water in the Nalgene. And you They're just making hold up the it. next drink. Yeah. Oh man, I remember drinking those macaroons, hot cocoa with, with some coconut, coconut milk. Oh, so good. And then when you finish it, you just throw your water bottle out the door of the shelter, and that means refill, please. And they refill it up. Real good, real and, nice and, and good. And it feels so good when you're the one chucking the bottle out the door that when you're the one cooking, you don't even care because you know how good it's going to be when you get to do that the next day. I don't see as much of in snowmobiling because you just don't have that time. You're like off bropping by yourself doing your thing, but you're not like making hot drinks for your friends. I guess David Chatterton makes... Yeah, you uh, might cook some. Wieners. Yeah, you might cook some wieners for your friends. He cooks. A, he cooks me up some wieners, real good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the camaraderie of snowmobiling, I think, is like when you get stuck and your friends all come to help you. That's a that's kind of like it. You don't really get that in skiing. But so that's the other part of winter courses is the whole point is to be able to go skiing. So, so you, how much time do you actually do going skiing? Shockingly little. Like what are we talking? <laughs> Half a day, three quarters well, of a day. Well, it depends a on the full course. Day. A couple, All the days. A couple times throughout the course, maybe you try to spend one whole day going skiing, and the other days you might just do a, a couple runs in the evening or during the day or something. I don't recall doing a lot of skiing on the course. You're just so work. tired because yeah. you're working so hard. Because you build this whole camp, this elaborate camp setup, but you can't. You don't just stay in one place for two weeks. So then you have to pack up move your camp and do it all again like three days later mm. and you might do it we call it dig in camp you might do a dig in camp three times on a winter course you best be thinking and hoping that you don't do many dig in camps well but you do want to be dug in because it's a lot warmer than oh, trying to sleep that's in a what tent I meant. yeah you best be hoping and thinking that you does a lot of dig in camps because they are way better than yeah. the fly camping. Yeah, camping is it's fly cold. camping is the worst. Yeah, Ron Rash taught me it'll kill you. It will kill you because basically it's all of the things that we just talked about minus that warm snow shelter. Yeah, it's which brutal. means that it's just being out in the freezing cold and it might with no be, protection. In December, you think about it, it might be negative twenty degrees outside. It could be negative twenty. It could be negative thirty. It could be negative a hundred. It may maybe. I think the worst. Ron Rash is this legend of Noel's winter courses, and I worked several with him. And one time, he sent me a printout 
that was the exact area where we were going winter camping, and it had one of the top five coldest recorded temperatures in the history of the United States. <laughs> it was think, like negative 65 or something. Yeah, that's right. I, think, I believe it's negative 70, right, where Celsius and Fahrenheit meet and Calvin. They I all thought meet they meet at negative 32. Negative 70. Maybe someone from Canada could weigh in on that for us. All right. Viewers from Canada, thanks for your subscription and thanks for all the purchases you've made of granola and gasoline merchandise. If you haven't, go ahead and do so now. Thank this, you. This episode is brought to you by Canada. This episode is sponsored by all of your purchases. So remember, make your purchases and be well. That's a good commercial. Tell me about the worst winter camping experience you've ever had. This I, one, I can think of mine right off the Do you want to go first? I mean, I could go first, I could go second, I could go last. It okay. doesn't matter because it's still the worst winter camping experience that could be had. Okay, you go first. Okay. Diarrhea. <laughs> this is where that diarrhea alert comes in. We're bringing diarrhea back into play. How do I set this up? Quickly, I think. We're deep in the back country. <laughs> We're up near Brescia Pass on Togedy. It is a blustery terrible cold windy front that's coming through and it lasted for about six days and it is just cold i mean cold cold to the bones cold freeze up your britches so you can't adjust your <laughs> underwear <laughs> that's pretty cold so there we were deep in the back country and that's when it happened diarrhea hit so one morning we got a student that comes into our little snow mound shelter all three of us instructors and the student says, our whole tent is either diarrheaing themselves in their pants, oh. in their sleeping bag. In their or, frozen britches. Or they're throwing up. Oh. Basically, this went on for a number of days. And we had to get new sleeping bags brought in. And we sent some students out. Somebody had taken a poop <laughs> and not washed their hands. This is why granolas get a bad rap. I know. Well, you know, they're new to camping. These were students. They were Dirty students. students. I remember walking up the hill, and I can kind of see them off in the distance. They're shoveling snow. So this one guy is shoveling snow, and it, he's throwing it up into the air, and the snow's just going to the side right away. And I'm getting closer and closer, and he turns to me. He's like, Brian! And he's pointing at the ground near the hole where the people are coming out of the shelter. Yeah. And he's like, we made it out of the shelter. And he points right at the entrance to the snow oh, shelter. Oh, and that's where they were pooping? And they were just dropping diarrhea loads right there. And so he was taking the shovel and throwing oh. the poop into the air. Oh. And it's blowing to the side. You follow where it's blowing, and it's right over to their kitchen oh. where they're boiling a pot of water, melting snow. This is bad. It's really bad. I think we got to move on. Yeah. Uh, so on mine, we got dropped off a lot of brand new campers and it started snowing and it was like, ah, no big deal. Of course it's going to snow a little bit. So we're setting up camp, teaching them how to just like do basic camping things in the snow. And it proceeded to not stop snowing for 12 days. So it was like the winter apocalypse. Yes. It was insane. It snowed 14 feet in 12 days. Sounds like snowmageddon. I wish I knew about snowmobiling at that time because it would have been amazing. Did you utilize your probe often? For what purpose? 
probing things. Probing things. We actually had to use a probe line to find things because students were losing things because there was so much snow. I was trying to set you up for that question. We lost few gallons of fuel we had to find. We lost skis. We lost, we probably lost a lot of gloves, that would be my guess. Did but you lose any students? I don't think so. That was good. Yeah. But uh, you did ask about navigating and it was very difficult because we were socked in the whole course. You couldn't see anything. And I did at one point lead us in a giant circle. Because <laughs> the Bermuda Triangle forces can affect courses when there's lots of snow Definitely. and fog. Definitely. We, I was leading the group. We were like 15 or 16 people. And I was with some of the stronger students in the front. And we ran into one of the, we'll just call him a slower student. And the slower student sort of made a quick calculation of what had just happened, which is that I had just taken us in a big circle. And one of the faster students who was pretty worked was like, hey, how'd you get here? And the student who was at the end of the line said, well, I took a shortcut. (laughs) (laughs) Which was true because we then had to wait for every person on the circle to like run into us. And I think we just set up camp there that night and called it a tent camp. Like Call it we're, quits. We were like, we're not going any further. Yeah. Well, I, I had like PTSD from that course. It was pretty, it was pretty rugged. I really think it's some of the hardest earned money that I've ever. Yeah. We were making like $80 a day. Yeah. Some of those days <laughs> I felt like I was working 24 hour days, just non I think it's like working on an oil rig basically, but they were, they were really fun. program. If we could set up some referral where. Oil rig leadership courses. Yeah. Yeah. In the winter course. Yeah. Format. Yeah, maybe. Mm. It was cool experiences, and I'm thankful for them. And I actually think it does translate to some skills when we go snowmobiling. If we were to get stuck out there for a night, we wouldn't have all the supplies that we had on winter courses, but we would have some idea of what to do to stay warm, and we would know that we could take care of ourselves for a night. Yeah, it's good skills to have. Yeah. I technically rode my first snowmobile on a Knowles winter That's course. right. Yeah. They rescued you. They did rescue me. Shout out course, to snowmobilers. It was the course where we didn't have enough fuel. Mm-hmm. And myself and another guy, Chris Bruno, who's a... He's Captain a, General. He's the general of the Coast Guard. <laughs> I don't think he is. Well, after a couple of years, you know, you embezzle <laughs> the story be. a bit. Yeah, yeah, he may be in the future. Embellish. Embezzle? You You're stealing the story? <laughs> you Who are you going to steal story. it from? <laughs> Um, so I'm there with the general, the Coast Guard. (laughs) And this is a frigid course. This course was so cold. It was so cold. (laughs) We are camped at Bonneville Pass, which is like 10 miles to the road. Yeah, 10 miles out to the Togadi Pass Road and probably about five miles from Brooks Lake Lodge. We wake up early in the morning and we take off on skis, maybe an hour out of camp. His ski binding breaks, so he only has one ski. But we keep going. And we get to the road at, like, 2 p.m. That's not good. And we had got up at first light. You thought you'd be there by, like, 11 or noon. Yeah. So we pick up the fuel. We start going back. And it's kind of an uphill now. Right. We're going back. Yeah. And we get to Brooks Lake, and we're like, you know what? We're just going to go into Brooks Lake. We're going to say, we have no money. We have (laughs) Skinner? We have nothing, <laughs> but we can't make it back to our camp today. Yeah. We need a room, and we'll we'll do whatever it takes. Yeah. Which, now that we know a little bit about Brooks That Lodge, wouldn't work. That would not be... You can't just stay there. That would not be ideal. Yeah. Maybe Skinner would let you sleep on his couch. I mean, at the time, we didn't know Skinner, but... <laughs> yeah. 
again, Chris, the general, is on one ski. And he's just like doing this little hop. hop oh my step. gosh. And up him. rolls this guy on a snowmobile. It was probably a 1993 Yamaha, whatever model, big flat honking yeah, piece of. Yeah, four stroke. Yeah, I don't even, I wouldn't even be able to tell you. Yeah. And he's like, hey, I've got uh, this tow rope, lifts up the seat and pulls out like a, a tow rope. Like from, a water ski yeah, rope? Yeah, like a water ski rope. <laughs> he's like, take this. So the rope is only like 15 feet long and there's no flap on the back of his sled. So we are, Chris and I are holding on to the rope <laughs> together. He only has one ski. Oh my God. And he's just dragging us and all the... And you're just like, getting blasted. Yeah, roosted. roosted. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. We're just getting like and covered exhausted. in snow. Exhausted. Like we don't have yeah. goggles. But you don't have another choice really. We have no choice. And we kind of like jumped in. That was the point of no return. It's like, if we do this... We're going back. We have to go back. Yeah. Whether, in the dark. Whenever we get there, we get there. So then he takes us to the end of the trail, and now we must go off trail back to the... Yeah. Which is still like another two hours of... Travel. Travel for us. And you're carrying fuel, like heavy gallons of fuel. We are carrying gasoline, and yeah. we must get back for granola. That's right. Granola dinner. Yeah. Some hot granola over a warm bed of oats. Hmm. At this point, we're like, this is just going to suck. There's no two ways yeah. about it. It's a schlog. It's been a schlog all day. But now it's like the final chapter of the schlog where it's not fun at all. And we maybe go for like 10 minutes. And these two guys roll up on like brand new mountain sleds. And they're like, what are you doing? And we're like, uh, and we explain the situation. They're like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> You're like, that sounds terrible. We're going back to the bar. <laughs> and they're like, well, do you want to ride? And they double rode each one of us. So we like, one of them would stand on one yeah. side of the running boards. The other would stand on the other side. And we'd both hold That's on the bars. And they brought us back to camp and just like dropped us off right at our snow mound. Yeah. Close. Shelter. You skied in. Because yeah, I, rem- I worked that course with you. Yeah. I remember you guys skied in the last little bit. And we were expecting you to be like, we're so tired. Because it was dark by oh, then yeah. or close. And you guys were in pretty good spirits. It was amazing. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. Because at one second you're like, man, this we are going to spend the night at Brookside Lodge, which would not have been terrible, yeah. but it would have been shameful. <laughs> yeah, incredibly. right, right. Like, and we would have been worried about you if you didn't make it back to camp. Yeah, because so. we couldn't call you on the cell. Yeah, there's no cell. <laughs> but then like just not knowing if it's going to go and having these two heroic snowmobilers yeah, roll up Maybe and they'll save the listen day. to this episode and they'll reach out. I know. I'd love to that be That was your reunited. first snowmobile experience. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they were like brand new Skidoo Summit 850 stock turbos. No, <laughs> we're definitely not because that didn't exist eight years ago. Well, but it was very kind of them. And I think generally that's one of the reasons we sort of started this concept of granola and gasoline is that... Given the opportunity, I think most sledders would want to help a skier who needed help. People are good people by nature. Yeah, I people think so. People are people and people are good. And good people will do things for other people that need help from people. Did you get all that? <laughs> I think I mostly got it. I think at its core, everybody is a good person. Yeah, generally people are good. I mean, there's some bad people out there. Like, yeah. 
Hitler, Stalin. Yeah, we don't, we don't even get into that, okay. though. I don't yeah. think that's part <laughs> of like, winter camping. Other, other than that, most people Most are people amazing. will help you. They're yeah. good, But good here's people. what I would say, too, to the snowmobilers is you don't always realize how loud you are when you're going by skiers who don't have a helmet on. Oh, remember the other day we were up near those cliffs and there's some skiers yes. going up and skiing this couloir. Yeah, and they were boot packing up because it was too steep to even skin up. One of the guys that we were riding with, no names, he went just like straight up to and them. And he has a can on his sled that is so loud. And so I start yelling at him on the radio, like, stop, like, stop, 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 stop. And he comes back down. He's like, what's going on? And I was like, you can't just chase skiers up the mountain. Yeah. That's That feels really attacking because what are they yeah. going to do? Yeah. Like they have nowhere to go. And I remember... Before I started snowmobiling, I was terrified of snowmobilers. Yeah. I was just like, they're they're evil, and they have these like menacing looks under their helmets, and they they like <laughs> are packing heat, and they're gonna bust a cap in my ass. Yeah, but really, they just want to help you. Oh yeah, I mean that's what I found out that day. That day changed yeah. my life forever. Yeah. They picked me up, gave me a ride, and then now I'm committed to just spending all of my discretionary income on <laughs> snowmobiling. <laughs> rapidly depreciating parts yeah. that make me smile a lot. Yeah, and that's called snowmobiling. <laughs> but it is cool to reflect on our journey in, in the land of granola winter camping and then now being in the land of gasoline adventure. So there's a place for both, and I think it's all about having fun and working hard. At least that's what it is for me. Well, thank you guys for listening. It's been a great episode. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to go winter camping, let us know. We probably won't go with you, but we'll definitely cheer for you. And while you're at it, check out uh, the podcast, which you're listening to right now. Hope you love it. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. Hi, guys. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the Granola and Gasoline Meridol podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and hop over to our website for more dynamite content at granolaandgasoline.com.